afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Mark Knopf, Thomas and Ruth Money with me today. Now just an update here for some uh, traffic. Uh, surface flooding remains near the intersection with Centre Hill Road uh, with a 30 kilometre a temporary speed restriction in place. So, so adhere to the temporary speed restriction. Take extra care along that route. That's Centre Hill Road there, Southland. And uh, State Highway 35, Mangat- uh, Mangatuna, Gisborne, due to a truck roll between Mangatuna and uh, Anoda Bay, the uh, uh, Poro Road bypass was closed as of 3.15pm. That is now open. But back to the budget today. And inflation is forecast to drop to 3% by next September. Treasury no longer forecasting a recession due to cyclone recovery. Unemployment is forecast to peak at three, 5.3% in late 2024. And GDP forecast at 3.2% this year, dropping to 1% next year. So looking at the economics first up and uh, just some flagship points here, the government to extend 20 hours of free childcare a week to two-year-olds. Medicine, the $5 prescription fee scrapped, although some people uh, have pointed out the likes of the chemist warehouse uh, have done that. And $10.7 billion has been poured into infrastructure, $6 billion for a national resilience plan to mull that over. We have Cameron Bagri from Bagri Economics who has very kindly stepped away from the cheese board at the Kuru Club for us. Um, Cameron, <laughs> Cameron uh, kia ora. Are you in a quiet place? Yep. So I'm locked away in a, in a bathroom. So not <laughs> a place to do it, but Good on you, Cameron. Thanks. Thanks for doing that for us. Now, it's described as a new no-frills budget. Uh, what did you make of it? This is what you expected? Yeah, the, the government's constrained by a whole lot of things. Look, one, you don't want to add into that inflationary bonfire. You can't spend too much more. There's some pressing needs in regard to infrastructure. The government just needs the front over. And, of course, you've got to do a little bit of an electioneering within these sort of things. It's an election year, so there's a hat tip to early childhood education. But you're stepping back. You know, I think what the government did today was that they kept a bit of their power to dry. They had a bit of bitted everything. There was a bit of a deterioration in the fiscal accounts, which we're going to be monitoring over the next 12 months pretty closely. Uh, they're still predicting a pretty strong economy, which I'm not quite sure I'd agree with that in the sort of next 12 to 24 months. Okay. But They've left themselves a bit of wriggle room for pre-election anyway. And returning to surplus, it's been pushed out by a year to 2025-26. Net debt uh, as a percentage of GDP expected to peak uh, in the coming year at 22%. Uh, what of this, Cameron? Well, we're coming from a position of fiscal strength. So let's not jump off the deep end, but... Government debt, 22% of GDP is world class, although if you strip out the super fund assets, it's more like 42% of GDP, which is a little bit more getting up there. But a lot of the improvement in the fiscal position is a projection and conditional upon two years out, the government going on a real big spending diet. Now, certainly... The last five budgets have been anything but a diet. They've been splurges. And what we tend to see within the fiscal forecast is what's called a hockey stick. Now, you see a deterioration in the near term, but the forecast saying, no, we'll be back on track two years out. And two years out, lo and behold, we tend to see it 
have pushed out a number of years, and that, that's been a pattern for a while, is the projected returns to surplus tend to get pushed out every year within a budget. Okay, Cameron, stay there. Let's bring the panellists in, Ruth. Oh, Cameron, I was just looking at some Treasury forecasts around debt, and like debt per household, the I think the projection was something like $109,000 a household. Are you concerned about the levels of debt that we're Aotearoa is rolling right now? Well, I guess if, if I have a look at right here and now, does New Zealand as a government have a lot of debt? The answer is no. Does New Zealand as a country, including private sector debt, have a lot of debt? The answer is hell yes. I guess the issue with government debt is not just the level, it's the direction of change. And what we're seeing is a very rapid accumulation of debt over the past three years and projected in the next two. And I guess we're expected to believe that two years out we're going to be changing course. That's going to be a real big challenge when you look at pressure on government services, you look at pressure for infrastructure investment, and that's a real big thing we need to get on top of going forward. The public sector wage demands are going one way, yeah, so the, the forecast in the next two years directionally are for a deterioration, but we're expected to believe that down the track we're going to get back on track. Now, I don't think we're going to get back on track unless we end up pulling the tax lever. Yeah, so I can see uh, yeah, what they did today with increasing the tax rate on trusts. I think the opening salvo, the first of the play on the field, so to speak, in regards to let's just see how this works, what the reaction is, but in the next couple of years, I think there's going to be a real big debate that's going to take place in regards to we face trade-offs between spending, infrastructure investment and tax rates. Oh, can, oh that's interesting, uh, Cameron. All right, Mark. Hey, Cam. Um, so, you know, is it sort of a budget of, of expectation management just to manage people through as we enter into an election period and then bring out sort of the into the election then bring out sort of the, the nasties if, they, if they're successful as the next government and that means some more drastic policy changes around tax as you, as you mentioned or, or pulling back on lots of areas. Um, also just like your comments on you know with a, with a wider lens on do you think this, this particular budget is going to do anything to improve some of the social issues New Zealand's currently contending with? I'll let this answer that one first because budgets tend to be big bang glam affairs where you get out there and you wrap up some policy initiative and you say we're going to be spending a whole lot doing X, Y and Z, education, early childhood, healthcare, that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, Mark, the proof is in the pudding in regard to where that, that money actually delivers results. And what we've seen over the past few years is there's been a hell of a lot of money spent. Are we actually seeing results on the other side? And there's a whole lot of question marks. Very, yeah. What we know at the moment is that the, the government is I think, yeah, but they're kicking the can down the road. Yeah, so today, that they went with a pretty restrained budget, which I think was right for the times, but there's a whole lot of questions here in regard to, do you think about the likes of teachers' pay? Yeah, do we have a resolution there? No. Is it going to cost a lot of money? The answer is yes. And I don't want to front up with that now. There's a whole lot of other public sector services we need to think about in regard to how we're going to fund these going forward. And I think they've kicked those things down the road and sort of kind of hoping they don't need to address them until after the election. But once again, yeah, after the election, you're going to have to address these things and they're going to involve some pretty brutal choices in regard to 
service provision of government spending, health, education, police, that sort of stuff, tax rates and infrastructure. And they all involve trade-offs. Okay. Uh, Cameron, very nice to have you there from the uh, yeah the Cotter Club bathroom uh, for now. Uh, have a good <laughs> flight. That's Cameron Bagri from Bagri uh, Economics there. Uh, so a trade-offs uh, there. Now, earlier before we had um, the uh, one of the spokespeople for the Child Poverty Action Group saying that uh, some nice pieces there, but uh, not a whole lot when it comes to families who are having to deal with a quite a big shortfall um, from payday to payday. Now, let's go to Leanne Watson, who is the Chief Executive uh, of the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce. Leanne, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. All right, so what do we have here? What do you uh, think of it? And w- what did you make of the $10.7 billion being poured into infrastructure? You've got $6 billion here for a national resilience plan. Uh, look, the first thing I'd say is that the headline of this year's budget was support for today and building for tomorrow, and businesses are what will drive the ability to build for tomorrow. So we were pretty, uh, surprised and a little disappointed that business was uh, barely mentioned in this budget, and the cost of business that has largely been ignored in this budget is really disappointing. Stay there, Leanne. Let's bring on the panel. Well, let's go with you, Mark, because you're one of the, you're the head of the new New Market Business Association. Leanne, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I think that there's often often the fact that businesses pay the taxes that employ the people that drive the economy is often overlooked. Um, one thing, I your thoughts on this would be quite keen to hear, but what surprised me and alarmed me a little bit was based on what's happening in New Zealand in 2023, the government's still behaving like it's 2019. Our crime and law and orders got way out of whack and businesses, small business owners in particular, are really feeling, feeling the brunt of that. And just what's your view from what's going on down in Christchurch? Oh, look, crime in Christchurch has been probably no different to other parts of the country. It's certainly no worse than other parts of the country, but it has had an impact on many small businesses. And, you know, we know that the cost of doing business has gone up significantly in the last few years. And while, you know, we recognise that there are very real pressures for families with respect to the cost of living, the same pressures are facing businesses who actually provide the livelihoods of those people. Um, so, you know, we want to see inflationary pressures uh, addressed right now. It was good to, uh, you know, see some of that acknowledged in the in the, um, in the budget today. But actually the very real cost of compliance, which has gone up around $240 a month, along with about a $1,500 per month for general overhead costs, um, is facing every small business in this country. And this country is made up of uh, 580,000 small businesses, and that just mm. hasn't been acknowledged in the budget. Yeah, clearly being a survivor advocate, I'm very concerned about the the crime side of it. I'm also really interested, you know, the people that I know that own these SMEs or small businesses often have their um, house assets to protect their children in a trust. So uh, this group of the population are now being hit by an increased tax effect um, when actually they're trying to drive their small businesses, which in turn drive the economy. What did you think about the tax increase, Leanne? Yeah, that that tax change was a bit of a surprise given the government had uh, clearly signalled there would be no changes in the budget. Mm. And they effectively did the opposite. Um, And, you know, they're taking $250 million worth of tax um, going to the government and not circulating back back into the economy. And you're absolutely right. Many small businesses, um, those businesses are tied to their family homes and often in trust. So alongside interest rate hikes, um, which is obviously another increased cost that they're facing, this is just another blow that many of them will be facing. 
Very good to have you on the programme, Leanne. Uh, Kiara, thank you for your time. That's Leanne Watson there, the CEO of the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce there. So, you know, we've had uh, Susan St John at 3.45. We've had uh, Cameron Bagri there. That's Leanne Watson from uh, Christchurch there. And before we get into our next guest, can I just say, Mark, that... Um, you threw a bit of a curveball and a bit of a weird one. It's a thought idea that's never going to happen, is it? But you said, is it time for uh, New Zealand to become a state of Australia? And uh, rather bizarrely, you had quite a strong response uh, <laughs> and quite positive. It's quite weird. Yes, we should become a state of Australia as an economy of 5 million cannot provide the infrastructure of health, education and transport and judicial delivery that we would like. Uh, so, yes, indeed, our Australian banks are owned. Uh, how can we make it work? There must be a constitutional way. So that's what uh, Mark threw up. Should we become a state of Australia? 2101. But to this, one of the areas the government has spent money on is public transport. They've announced permanent, free public transport for under 13s, along with half price fares for under 25s, community service card, and total mobility users. Also, Kiwi Rail in line to receive an extra $370 million to repair railways and consider how it could expand the National Rail Network. John Reeves is a Public Transport Association spokesperson. John, welcome. Good afternoon, Wallace. What do you make of permanent free transport for under-13s? Oh, for public transport users, I think that's it's a really good move, you know. We do need to encourage young people to get into using public transport. Not always being carted to school by mummy and daddy. It would be really good if they're actually on a, on a bus or a train. Um, and it's also very good for the under 25-year-olds. So there's, there's, there's some good things there. But there's one point which I'd like to make is it doesn't cover the regions of New Zealand. So it's really great in the cities. But regional okay. New Zealand, you know, you don't have any, you only have intercity buses. Why aren't they included in it? Hang on, hang on. Did I pick up with that? This only covers the cities? Well, it only covers the regions that have you know, your established public transport network. Got it. But if, you, if your town, your regional town, and let's take somewhere like um, Gisborne or Kerikiri Paihia, um, we only have intercity buses. Why aren't the intercity buses part of this? Because, you know, that's public transport. But, you know, they're left, the regions are left out. We will have to pick up on that uh, that's because a great point. that sounds uh, like something might have to happen there. I mean, this has been announced as a permanent free public transport. You'd think it's uh, across the nation here. Um, what, what, around the panel, what do you think, Ruth? Oh, I get a little bit upset about public transport because living on Waiheke, we, um, you know, we have to sell our firstborn every time we want to get on the ferry, and then it doesn't actually Don't show you up. Just. Yeah, and then it doesn't show up anyway. Um, and uh, you know, we've got kids over there commuting daily. We commute daily for work, and yet we can't have a reliable ferry uh, service. And when there are um, discounts offered, the ferry between Waiheke and, and Tamaki aren't isn't included. So don't start me because I'll grumble, take grumble. the whole show grumbling about that. That's a whole other panel, isn't it? This the will state not of include the, the fairies. Yep. Yeah, all right. Mark? Uh, well, I'm a fan of getting you know people out of uh, private vehicles to go to school and get into the public transport, but I often think the government's approach to everything is using a very blunt tool, and so it's a universal thing for all children. And actually there are plenty of families who are well enough resourced to cover public transport costs of their children themselves. 
but they're all lobbed into the same bucket, so everyone's getting free public transport at, at a certain age. So, yes, it's it's very nice, but again, I think it's just where the government maybe could be a bit more uh, bespoke. Ta- bespoke? Yeah. John? Well, I think it was actually a uh, grab of low-hanging fruit. This is an easy one for any government to just say, hey, we'll make all the existing services free. What I'd rather have seen is an expansion of services so we actually have a proper interregional nationwide public transport service like we had when we had the New Zealand Railways road services and the railways across the country. 100%. Yeah, I agree. We don't have that anymore, and this government would have done a hell of a lot better to have said, hey, we're going to roll out a nationwide public transport network. Instead, low-hanging fruit, we'll just make existing buses in the cities free for kids. Um, So it's not really, it's not aspirational this thing. Right. Uh, uh, it has some benefits, but honestly, they could have done a lot better. Hey, do, just back to the uh, under-13s, and uh, you, you, you said mummy and daddy not taking the kids to school. I mean, the school run is, uh, you'd know this, Mark, in your area, the school run, what a shocker. Uh, you, you just can't move. We love the school holidays. Traffic's amazing. Yeah. So on, on that, John, <laughs> do you think that might lock in some long-term habits. If you if you if you if you spend years taking the bus by the age of thirteen, that might transfer when you start work. Yeah, and I, I did. And look, it happened to me. I used to go to school by bus every day, and uh, I've used train and buses ever since. Everywhere I've right? lived around the world. Oh, me both, too. Yeah. both of you. Me too. Yeah. Every day. Is yeah. that school, it? I love yeah. the so you, bus. So you both, you all three of you, locked in that habit of um, bus, bus quite early. You used to walk yep, sometimes. Totally. Well, that's, in the snow, that's bare feet, blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, what about that, John Reeves? South Island. Well, that's why it would be good to lock people into it. So I think it's great having the under-13s getting in free services. That's great. But like I said, it's still low-hanging fruit, and I'd rather have seen more expansion of our network into a nationwide public transport system. Mm. Yeah. Very good, John. Kia ora. Jeff John Rees, the Public Transport Association, there on that announcement. Now, um, I put out the budget wish list yesterday. We got a lot of response regarding what you what you. If you were uh, in charge, what would you like to see? And with us on the line, we have Ernie Newman. Ernie, welcome to the panel. G'day, Wallace. How are you? Good to have you on. Uh, so what what's, what what would have been on your wish list? Oh, look, I'm, I'm a back-to-basics guy. You know, I, uh, the, the, the main thing that we elect politicians for is to run our core public services. And at the moment, they've never been in such bad shape. You know, we can see we've got a huge crime wave. Um, the cops don't seem to be properly resourced. Fire brigade don't seem to be properly resourced. We know the story in health and education. And, you know, uh, before the politicians get let loose on, on their poll-driven pet projects, we actually need them to run the basic uh, services of the state properly. Where are, you, where, where, do you, where are you calling from, Ernie? I'm in Waikato. I'm in Cambridge. Ah, yes, the wonderful, uh, the wonderful Waikato. Okay, so you, res- you want to restore the basic public services that we all pay for. Not all, not, not all uh, bad, is it? I mean, you've, Hamilton's a real go-ahead city, Ernie. Yeah, but Hamilton's got a crime wave at present like, um, well. like many other parts of New Zealand. And, you know, um, this has been going on now for several years, growing almost by the week. Um, and but it's not being grown, it's actually declining, but nonetheless, well, I, I, no, I, I, well. I do take your point. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. Very good, Ernie. Good on you. All right. Uh, and with us is uh, Christina. Hi, Christina. Hello. How are you doing? Very well. What was on your budget wish list? Well, they didn't really address it because 30 years in New Zealand, we've been out of balance with home ownership and all our problems stem from that situation that there's too many landlords and not enough houses, you know, for, especially for first home buyers. What would you like to see? 
well, I'd like to see anyone who owns any more than three homes to relinquish them and be given a tax break for that purpose. Mark? An amnesty for a few years. Our, and, our, uh, our, pa- our panel is looking in shock. Relinquish the homes. That's quite a radical uh, policy you've got there, Christina. I think uh, that, that may be more suited to other to other countries, which aren't quite so demographic. Uh, demographic, democratic. Yes. Well, there's just too many landlords to our population, and most of the cost of living problems stem from this fact. I mean, that the high rents they have to pay in return is just too much for the budget. Well, you know. well you're, you're speaking from a place of experience, Christina, because as I understand, you are a retired real estate agent. Very retired, yes. Well, in the 90s, in 93, it all started. So it's about 30 years in the making. Nobody wants to address it. Uh, the leaders of the opposition at the moment all own multiple properties, so they won't address it. And it's such a shame because young couples just can't compete mm. with would-be landlords because who, who don't check a property out, you know, they just bid and that's it. Wow. So, Ruth? <laughs> oh, no, I, I agree with you. We absolutely have a housing stock issue, Christina. I um, Yes. Maybe we should be a state in the making. Australia. It's been a long time in the making. State we'll come back to that, Ruth. It's it's lovely to hear you. We had, uh, I mean, since you're here, since you're you know we're talking to a, Christina, a former retired real estate agent. So you were saying that we should have some sort of stamp duty. Yes, and have an amnesty to to twist their arms, literally, to drop these extra houses. I mean, nobody objects to a landlord with three houses, two to three houses, not a problem. But when you own 10 or 20, I think then you can see how the the properties have disappeared. Uh, People are loving your style. Someone says here... (laughs) I like her style. <laughs> Another oh, one here. Oh, Chris- well, it's a hard one. It's the elephant in the big living room. So, you know, whoever <laughs> does address it will be very brave. <laughs> I think, but I think that's right. We need bravery. You know, mm, there is systemic right. failure across yeah. all sorts of sectors in yeah. New Zealand right now, and yeah. no one is being brave, and it all links to this political cycle. It all comes down to their income. If they can't afford the rent then they need to be helped with food and everything else. So it's, it's the houses and they don't have a chance of buying them because they're just too dear now. Mm. Christina, you've got fans. Christina um, from Mia. Thank you, Wallace. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> Very good to have you here. All <laughs> right. Uh, that is, uh, there are a couple of many people who uh, uh, came in for their budget uh, wish list. Preach, Christina. Finally, finally, someone tells it like it is. Um, uh, come on, panel. We should be an Australian state. All benefits in state still retain state government. Uh, it's quite extraordinary the response coming through on uh, on that and all topics. Anyway, you are on the panel. We're talking the budget this afternoon. We have Ruth Money. We have Mark Knopf Thomas. More to come. We are talking how it impacts those most vulnerable. With Brooke Paul Stanley from Auckland Action Against Poverty very shortly. But now. It's time for headlines.